Thank you, David. Thank you for that. Today's a very special night. Tonight we are having deacon ordination. We are going to ordain Raphael Jubin, Raphael right here, as a new deacon. But first I'm going to share with you some scripture. So I want you to open your Bibles to the book of 2 Timothy. Everybody needs to turn there. We're going to talk about what it means to be a man of God. So here's our format tonight, what we're going to do. I'm going to share a charge, some words about what it means to man, being a man of God. Then after I speak, I'm going to ask Raphael to come up here, and he's going to speak as well, share a little bit about what God's been doing in his life, his heart, his background. And then after that, Raphael's going to sit in this chair right here. And part of the uh, being ordained as a deacon or as a minister involves the laying on of hands. So if you have been ordained, if you're an ordained deacon or an ordained minister, even if it's at another church, what we will do is we will create a line after Raphael speaks, and you'll line up right here, and one by one, we will pray over Raphael. So I'll start us off, I'll pray over him, and then when I'm, when I'm done, then the line will just continue David to play on the piano, and it will uh, be, a, it'll be a wonderful time for that. Now you say, Dan, what about us in the pews? Say, if we're not ordained, you can pray for him and his family from your pews. So it's a time of, of certainly of prayer, a time of laying on a hand, and that's straight out of our Bible that we do that. Now, in the Bible, you have turned to 2 Timothy chapter 3. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, there's two, you don't need to turn there, I'm just going to tell you about it. There's two offices that receive ordination in the scripture. That is the office of minister, which, I, which I've been ordained. I was ordained at First Baptist Church of New Orleans, Louisiana in April of 2005. I was there. The first step of being ordained as a, as a minister is actually being licensed. Licensing would be typically something that um, a church has recognized your call. It's called license to preach. You start preaching and teaching in a church. We license Chris Wright here as well as Raphael, and I'm going to share a little bit why we license Raphael as well, because um, Raphael was called into the or has been called into the ministry as well so he will be eventually when he finishes school he's in a doctoral student at the southern baptist theological seminary when he finishes that and he's maybe serving in a church or in a christian organization he'll be then also likely ordained as a minister so very in the years to come raphael could be an ordained deacon and an ordained minister so that's uh, uh, the, the trajectory Raphael is certainly on with that. But in the Bible there, it gives us two offices in Scripture that receive the laying on of hands. And that's the officer of office of minister and the office of deacon. A minister is certainly me, a pastor that serves a church. A um, deacon is someone who also serves. Both, both of those positions are people that have um, requirements in Scripture. And if you read that, you can read that for yourself, those requirements, what it talks about there in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Every single requirement is about character. It's not about skill set. And here's why. Skill set will take you very high. But you won't stay there with your skill set. Your character is what keeps you there. You remember how you hear about preachers having affairs with their secretaries and stealing money and running around on women, just whatever you hear about. And say, 
you know, they might have been outstanding preachers, outstanding pulpiteers. They could have had excellent sermons, and their skill set was very high, but their character is what was lacking. And do you know what the Bible addresses for the office of pastor and the office of deacon? It nails over and over again on the character because that's what keeps you there. The character is what keeps a deacon and keeps the pastor serving for decades and decades. That's very important to have a high character. And that's what we're going to talk about. I want to tell you a little bit about Raphael. Raphael uh, his, he's, he's married to Pascaline. They're sitting next to him. They have three children. Victory is a seventh grader. She's down in youth, isn't she, right now? With Zach. Uh, she's a seventh grader at Leestown Middle School. So that's not far at all here, uh, right up the road. They have um, also two twins, Vida and Vidette, who just turned four. And I used to teach the toddler Sunday school class, and Vida and Vidette were always in my class. They were some of my favorite students, and they, do, they did not talk to me. <laughs> they, stood, they, they, sat, they stood there and stared. My class never talked back. You just gave them a cookie and a toy, and they were happy. That's <laughs> how it went. And we had a lesson as well. When you teach toddlers, your, 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 um, your audience gets up and walks away. There, they go, there goes the class. So speaking of walking away, uh, that reminds me of Ray. Ray is our <coughs> Ray and Keith Gowdy here coach basketball on Wednesday nights. And I have a men's discipleship group, which Raphael's a member of. And it meets on, um, we meet on Thursday at 12.15 at different restaurants. We have a group of guys that always meet. And Ray's always there. And what happened, Ray comes in and says, man, we had a record crowd. We had, a, we had an all-time record on men's boys basketball. This is boys, first to fifth grade. And they meet in the gym because they don't like the CIA admission. For, they want to do boys stuff. And what they do is it's basketball and Bible. So Ray and Keith, they teach them basketball, and then they read some scripture and teach them Bible. We had 11 boys, and we finished with eight. So what happened to other three? Oh, they ran away. So if you see children on Wednesday night, and they're running down the hallway, it's Ray and Keith's pro problem. They, those are their children. They, lo they lost their class. So where'd they go? Well, I feel that same way when you teach toddlers, because I know how it is. You're talking, there they go. <laughs> they just get up and, and go for a trot. And so, but that is exciting to see our boys' basketball. Uh, it's exciting. That's two deacons right there. Ray and Keith spend their Wednesday night attending Bible study in the fellowship hall. They're teaching boys, um, uh, elementary age boys, about, the, about Jesus. And I want to tell you, those boys will grow up and they will remember that. They will remember those men that invested in it. Remember RAs? Uh, I grew up and I was an RA. That's just like RAs, except it's basketball. You contextualize it. If the boys love to play basketball, we'll play basketball and teach them about Jesus. And that's what deacons do in a church. They serve their church. They serve the people. And God honors that. You show up, you invest in boys' life, God will grow that group. Those boys will get more and more faithful and attending. That's Raphael and Pascaline's family. They have three daughters. All right, I want to read some scripture here. I want you to turn. We need to know what the Bible says about being a man of God. Do you want to be a man of God or a woman of God, someone who is righteous in the Lord's sight? A lot of times you don't hear that phrase used anymore. I mean, when's the last time you heard someone being described as a man of God? Maybe it might be a grandpa or somebody from the past. Oh, gosh, they were such a righteous person. 
But the Bible uses that phrase, and we're going to see here. So I want you to follow along. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14. We're only reading four verses here, so you can follow along. But as for you, now remember, Paul is writing this. Paul has a thorn in his flesh, what we learned about this morning. Paul could have been very prideful and arrogant, but God humbled him. He's writing to a man named Timothy, a young man, a man who was a young pastor at a church in Ephesus. So he's writing there, encouraging Timothy and instructing him on what to do. So what happened is 2,000 years ago, those instructions still apply in 2019. Verse 14, But as for you, Timothy... Continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. We know in Timothy's case, his mother, Lois, and Eunice, and his grandmother, they raised him. Timothy had a Greek father, which means in the Bible that Timothy's dad was not saved. So where did Timothy learn the scriptures and learn about Jesus? From mom and grandma. That's who taught Timothy. And Timothy was raised up, and now he's, being discipled by Paul. I want to tell you, I have my men's discipleship group on Thursdays, and we guard that. We have a committed group of guys. I wish everyone in this church had that same group. You need to have a group of men. We just got out of a meeting here. <clears throat> it lasted almost to 6 o'clock. We had our men's ministry, uh, men's planning. We were playing the men's, Broadway's men's ministry. And David Humlong was there talking about how we need to be investing in encouraging the men. Like, if you want to create camaraderie and groups where uh, breakout groups occur, where the men are interacting with each other, that's healthy, that's biblical. That is what Paul is doing right here to Timothy. He's writing and giving him instruction. Today, this would have been an email or a text message. 2,000 years ago, they wrote a letter. So when you read this, the scriptures, this is, this is a 2019 email from a church planner and missionary, Paul, whose disciple, Timothy, and he's encouraging him and telling him what to do. But as for you, Timothy, continue what you've learned and firmly believed. You know those who taught you, and you know that from infancy you have known the sacred scriptures which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. That is such a rich Bible verse. Timothy, what you were taught by the people who taught you and the scriptures you learned from as you grew up will hold to those because that gives you wisdom. This is why it's so important that you are pouring your life into a new generation. It is important about this time of the year at this church, we have deacon ordination. And we should have a pipeline of young men just coming up through this chair about every February, March, getting ordained. There should be a group, one, two, three, young men who've never been ordained getting ordained in this church. And say, why? Because that is a sign that the church is discipling and raising up new faces, new leaders, new ministers. 
new deacons, new Sunday school teachers, new guys to invest in basketball players. Guys, if you don't have that Broadway Baptist, you've got a dead, dying church, and it will happen to this church. You are intentionally encouraging new leadership through the pipeline to come up. You won't have a church very long. Keep going here in your Bible. Verse 16. All Scripture is inspired by God. Listen, it doesn't say some Scripture. It doesn't say the Scripture that pertains to homosexuality. It doesn't say the Scripture that addresses abortion or divorce or remarriage. It says all Scripture. One of the signs of being a godly minister and being a godly deacon is that you need to be able to teach and, and really not have knowledge of all the Scriptures. Some of it's not popular. But we're not here for a popularity contest. Our job as Christians, is to teach the whole counsel of God. And that's what the Bible is instructing us to do. What is it good for? It's profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and for training in righteousness. Why? So that the man of God may be completely equipped for every good work. Who? The man of God. The Bible is good for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. I want you to know something. In this city, you can find anything you want. You can go find a church that affirms your sinful lifestyle. You can go find a church that provides entertainment. And it's a show, literally. It's a, a show you go to. You can go to this church. You can go find a church that they actually will burn other translations of the Bible if it's not KJV. Literally, they'll burn them. But that's not the purpose of what we see here of a church. The purpose of a church, the power of a church, is that if it doesn't have Scripture for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, you have nothing to stand, you don't have a leg to stand on. The only authority I have is what says right here in the Scripture. You go up to someone who's struggling with sin. And I walk up to them and I say, you know, you shouldn't be cheating on your wife. And they look at me <clears throat> and they say, well, why not? Well, I say, well, the Bible says thou shalt not ha commit adultery. It's wrong. And, and then they look at me and um, they say, well, you're right, Pastor. That is what the scriptures say. That's one scenario. Now, what if I went up to someone, and they're cheating on their wife, and I say, you shouldn't be cheating on your wife. I go, and they look at me, and they say, well, why not? I say, well, you know, you know it's just not really a healthy thing to do. You know, it doesn't really, doesn't really honor your spouse. It's not... It's not trendy. If I give those reasons, they'll look at me and go, they'll say, well, I don't care about health, and I don't care about honoring my spouse, and I don't care what's trendy. If they say that, I have, I have nothing to stand on. Our only authority is when we say, for rebuking other people, thus saith the Lord. Because then when they reject me, if they reject me, they're not rejecting me. 
They're not telling, they're not sending me anywhere. They're rejecting this book. They're rejecting the Lord. That is what it means to stand on God's word. That's what it means to be a biblical preacher and teacher. Could you imagine going to church and they don't talk about the Bible? They talk about feeding the poor and helping society and trying to make politics less combative. That's that's not biblical teaching. Now, yes, those might be good things, but the biblical teaching and message of a preacher is Jesus saves. We tell people, as men of God, the message of it for people who are dying without Christ. Thus saith the Lord, God saves through His Son. So, <clears throat> here we go. Six things quickly, then Raphael's coming up here. And here they are. I'm going to go through six characteristics of a man of God. You want to be a man of God tonight. Here's what you need to know. Number one, you need to know that you're born again. Obviously, if you're a man of God, you need to know that you're saved. Do you know when you are saved? Can you attest that you're a saved soul looking forward to redemption in heaven with Jesus? Can you lead someone to Christ? Do you know the characteristics of what to share in the gospel? I'm going to be preaching on that next Sunday. Number two, you need to be spirit-filled. What that means is the moment that you're saved, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. God comes inside of you and makes a home. He lives inside of believers. A spirit-filled person is someone who wakes up in the morning anticipating God to work in his life. Someone who God works through on a daily basis. We want to be a spirit-filled church. Now listen, spirit-filled church, a lot of times we don't use that phrase because we start thinking being Pentecostal and charismatic. Spirit-filled church is biblical. Spirit-filled Christian is biblical. What we're talking about is God lives here. God's presence, God's word is preached here. If you're preaching the Bible, you're a spirit-filled church. It's not a feeling. Because I want to tell you, if it's a feeling, there's going to be a lot of days you don't feel like you want to come to church. I mean, after Kentucky lost, you might feel like you didn't want to come tonight. Next week, you, Monday, you might not feel like you want to go to work. That doesn't... That's not what it means to, you don't lose your salvation. Spirit-filled church means God's presence is here. God's presence is at Broadway. You come to Broadway, you're going to feel the Spirit of the Lord. Number two, number three, you've been, you need to be called by God. Being a deacon isn't just something you just sit in a pew and think, I think I'll be a deacon today. No, the, it's a calling by the Lord. God called me to preach when I was 15 years old. He calls people out. He's, he's in the business of taking young men, young women, and raising up and calling them for special service for him. And that is something he calls to specific areas, such as the area of deacon. Not only does he call to a certain position, he also calls to a certain place. God doesn't bring, I don't believe God brings people to this church by accident. People just don't land here and go, why don't I go to this church? God brought you here to advance the kingdom of God. So you should be growing spiritually, and this church should be aggressively soul-winning and reaching other folks. 
That's what it means to be called. You're not mama called. You're not called by other people. You're called by God. Number four, a deacon or a minister should be equally yoked. What that means is Pascaline, his wife, should be a believer, and she is. She should be supportive of him. She should be supportive and prayerfully encouraging her husband in the Lord. It's not fun to come to church if you have a family member, including your wife or maybe your children, and they're giving you a hard time. Why do you go to that church? All they do is want your money. All they want to do is take, make you volunteer for stuff. All they want is your time, time, time. Listen, that is a divided household. Your spouse and you should be on the same page. And one of the things is when you get married... You want to make sure your spouse is your biggest cheerleader. You shouldn't be a deacon or a minister if your spouse isn't on board with that. Number five, you need to be a prayer warrior. And we've talked about this on Sunday mornings. Prayer is not only intimacy with God, it's the battle with the devil. One of the ways you have victory over sin is that you spend time in prayer. You're spending time with God, and you're also going to win in your battles. That's how, you, that's how folks get saved. You pray them into heaven. You need to learn to talk with God before you talk for God. That's important. First, before someone stands up in Sunday school or on the pulpit on Sunday, they need to be spending time in prayer, reading their Bible, and praying to God, asking for a message long before they start saying, I'm going to start standing up and talking for God. We need to make sure that you have done your homework, and spending time with the Lord before you go and stand in front of other folks. And number six, you need to be a Bible proclaimer. And this is what we see here in verse 16. People do not care what you have to say. They want to know what God says. No one wants to come to church and hear what Fox News has to say or what's going on in our city. They want to come here for a message from the Lord. They want, folks want to come here and know, how can I know God better? How can I be a man or a woman of God? We preach when it's popular and when it's unpopular. The Bible does not change. Our culture is changing rapidly. But the great thing is the scriptures speak to whatever that is. Whatever the news changes, God's word is certainly true. One of the things about our church, and it should be with any church, listen, methods change all the time. We were in our men's ministry meeting and talking about having a bonfire this coming fall. That's something new. It's a way to reach men. And changing up next year's wild game dinner a little bit, make, you know, making it a little different. Methods always change. But guys, the message never changes, ever. The message is Jesus. Whether you're in Sunday school, church, you come to a Bible study, you should be hearing about how to be saved and Who's the one who saves you? And that's Jesus. And that's what it means to be a deacon. That's what it means here to be a man of God. And it says in verse 17, so that the man of God may be complete. A complete person is someone who sees God has raised me up and I'm learning the scriptures so it's profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And all four of those are different, and they all four have a role. 
Ralphie, I'm going to ask you to come on up here at this time. You come on up here, and he's going to share his heart, share what God's placed on his heart. Then after that, men, we're going to have a time of laying on hands. He'll sit there, and we're going to line up and pray. So make sure your microphone's on and come share for us. evening or it's, it's afternoon, but I'm just greeting you all. Uh, I'm glad and humbled to be in front of you to, um, to share my testimony and uh, at some point also to, to encourage you and to praise God because testimonies are meant to encourage each other and then to give glory to God for what he has done. Um, like Pastor said the first half, I am married to a wonderful lady who is part of my, what I am today is, is part of thanks to her, thank God to her. And we have, we're blessed with three kids, um, Victory, Vida, and Videt. They were supposed to be here, but they, we have some friend, families who, we have some kids who came and, and they are with them together at home. So I, I am, my wife, we are from Cameroon. Originally, we born, made first part of our lives in Cameroon. And, and Cameroon is uh, a small African, about 20 million people, a small African country that is just planted right there at the indentation of the coast of Africa as the map comes and it has an indent there. And uh, it, it was formerly colonized by the, the, the British and the French. The British and the French because uh, the country first of all was being occupied by Germany after uh, uh, Hitler was going around to conquer the world. So when France was defeated by Germany, Cameroon was a territory that belonged to France. So uh, as, as history says, the German states, every French territory and Cameroon was under, was under Germany. And when, when Germany was defeated, I think 1945, then all the territories as punishment, all those territories from Germany were seized again. Now as a pegback, Cameroon was given to, was, was split between British, between the British and the French. So we came from, we speak two official languages, French and English. So we, we came from the English section of the country, and we make the, we, we form the minority. And uh, as I come before I speak, please pray for Cameroon. There is there is there is been civil war going on for I think almost two years now. There is a, a fight between the English and and the, the, the English section. They are, they are complaining about domination, assimilation, and all those type of things. And people, the military are just out there, just killing people disorderly. And and please pray for Cameroon. I, I grew up in a traditional Baptist family. We were seven of us. Um, two has gone to be with the Lord. Out of those seven, I was, I am the fourth. And uh, uh, my dad is of late. He passed on in 2006. It was a traditional Baptist <coughs> church or family whereby we, there is, we don't have an option. Church is what you have to obey as far as you live under that roof. And uh, if you don't go to church, to my dad, it's like, that is a felony. And you will be accountable for that. He was a non nonsense taking dad. When you do something wrong, especially when it comes to going to church, and you pay for it. And you pay for it with your tears so that next time you know that you have to go to church. So that is how church actually was considered very, very seriously in our home. And we were involved in church. I was so involved in church, growing up in church. And um, our dad was a church secretary. And uh, I remember I used to tell children to my wife and my kids that some of the inspiration I got from my dad was that when daddy is really happy, he will cook. Daddy, he, it, he is the one running the home that day. He will cook 
and the family will sit together. And his favorite passage that he always shared will be in Ephesians 6. Say, children, obey your father. And their wives, submit to your husband. I learned that growing up. And uh, it, meant, it meant a lot to me growing up in that, in, that, in that atmosphere. So as I was growing up, even though I grew up in church, I was participating in church from when I was like seven years old in the New Life Club and until I, I became a, a teenager where I joined the youth, until I, I was leading the youth group as a president at that time, I had never really had the encounter with the Lord. A glimpse of having an encounter with the Lord came when there was this uh, Canadian uh, Jesus film ministry team that came to Cameroon in the late 80s, early 90s, yeah. And they shot the film of Jesus Christ, his crucifixion and everything. That is when actually uh, I, I had a, an encounter. I saw the whole everything and, and the person who at the end gave, gave the, uh, the summary of, of the purpose of that thing. Then I, I, that, was, that was when the gospel actually meant something to me. It clicked with me that really, that this Christianity is because somebody died for us and that you have to make him personal. You have to take it personal, not in a group thing. Being in a family does not qualify you a Christian. Your dad, your dad being a secretary in a church does not qualify you as a Christian. So that was a glimpse where I got the first glimpse. Then as I was in a youth meeting, uh, in a youth group, we, we were going in one of our camps. Um, the preacher actually preached, and one of the things that he mentioned that always resonated within me that would never leave me, and that actually made me to actually uh, really bow and submit to the Lord, was he mentioned hellfire. He talks about if you die without Christ, you go to hell. And he tried to describe hell and, and things like that. It, it wasn't funny to sit there and listen to all those that if somebody, if I reject Christ, I will go to that place. I said, this is not where I want to be. And so when he made the altar call, I actually, um, I went and I, and I, I made that, 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 that I repented and made, invited Christ to my life and as my personal Lord and Savior. So when, when, when you live in a house where there is, there is no father to follow up, take care of you. My dad has died and we're just leaving my mom. And, and, and so, and, and also there was no follow up, you know, being that very tender and, and, and vulnerable when you receive Christ without any follow up. So I, 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 was, I was faced with the pressure of, of, of the young people, you know. And then my life, my spiritual life was not, I was going up and coming down and, and going up and coming down. Now, God in his grace and his mercy for my life, something happened in 1992. We live, where we live at, we live close to, um, there is a stream that runs by our house, just three miles away from our house. And there is a, there's an area where children, we used to go and, and we'd jump and dive and just play and enjoy, and enjoy the, the stream. So something happened one time. There was one guy actually who went there and he was drowning. He could not swim, he was drowning. And so the people were screaming and shouting and people were coming out from the neighborhood and coming to that stream. So I was one of them. I, I remember that day I was cooking that day. And I left the house and I went to that stream. By this time I was like my, um, my, uh, 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 between 19 and 20 years old. So I came to that stream and there was one thing that I, my, I just had a connection very fast with. There was a lady who was there. She was praying. And as people were struggling to go and remove that young man inside that, inside that, that stream. She was praying, and that was actually what caught my mind. And as she was praying, and at the end, that guy, he was rescued. He did not drown. He was rescued. And I did not focus anymore to that lady, to that guy, but I focused to that woman, how she was praying. 
And, and I mean, there are things that God does in my life that I still remember vividly, the position and the way, the picture quite well. And this is one of them. I remember as I went home, I was wearing a, a shirt. It was very hot that day. I didn't have anything on, but I was wearing a shirt. As I went and I was getting inside my room, I just, something, there was this burden, there was this force that came to me, and I hear myself saying, enough is enough. And that was where I was kind of, my, my, my thoughts and perception about Christ became revolutionized. And I my, put my feet and, and I said, no, I have to really serve this God. And then on and, and, and started and, uh, and serving God and, and growing and um, uh, uh, later on met Pastor Lee, my wife, and, and, and we got married. Now, being like this, I'm, I'm on finished work. I got, the Lord is not done with me yet. Because I still have things that I struggle with every day. And I still pray and I'm trusting God that, Lord, I just want to be the person that you want me to be. Now, coming to ministry, um, prior to getting married to Pastor Lee, one of the things that helped us before we got married, we, we talked a lot of things, we, we discussed a lot of things, and we're praying for that when we when we come together, what we would like to do for the Lord, because we, we, we understand from our background teaching, we understand that marriage is not something that you just come and sit. God has called, she's like a helpmate, helping me to do something that God has called me to do. So we're planning that when we get married, we'll try to serve God in various capacities. Well, I never knew that I was going to uh, uh, one day want to go into ministry, into, to go into the ministry. Now, how, I, how, how was I called into ministry? In two, back in 2002, there was one youth camp that was, um, that was going on back in Cameroon. And, um, and when, this, when this speaker was preaching, when he was preaching, I always found, I found myself like as he was preaching, it was resonating to me, and then I was preaching somewhere else. And I did not understand that. So at the end of the camp, I met him. And I told him that there's something that is happening with me. I just, I don't know what it is, but when you were preaching over there, I found myself, as we were preaching, I was like taking this message and then telling other people. I don't know what that meant. And he told me, he, he laughed. We sat on a tree and then he, he told me all what it means to be a preacher and all those things. Like pastor. And he says that I should pray more, but he is saying that the, the God is calling me into ministry. That it is not something that I have to take lightly. Well, in my family, I have two brothers who are preachers. One of them, my elder brother, he came here. He visited with us sometime two years ago. And he, we stayed here for, I think, four weeks so or so. And he's a, he's a minister. He's preaching, right? He's in Cameroon. He's a preacher. My other brother, the, the, the last one, he's in South Africa. He's also a preacher. Then I have five other cousins who are preachers. So I was rejecting. I was like, no, I can't come from it. It cannot, it cannot be real because everybody, not everybody, everybody in the family cannot be preachers. At least people should have different occupation and different things, not everybody to be a preacher. Well, that was my own excuse of defense. There is one pastor, one time we had a cell Bible study. And by then he was studying here in, in America and, and we, we, we the wife was hosting and we went there. I, it so happened that I was leading the devotion that day. When I led the devotion, at the end of the devotion, he called me. He said, Raphael, could you stay back for a moment? I have something to share with you. Then after that, Everybody was gone. He said, I don't know why I'm telling you this, but I'm seeing you like, like a preacher. I said, well, um, if it's something that God wants it to happen to me, then God will make it that. God, I was just trying to look for an excuse just to not really give attention to that. As if that was not all. There was after 
our one Sunday again, we went to church, and after church, there was another sister, a lady again, called for me. She said, Raphael, I'm seeing you, uh, you, you look like somebody who God has called to live. And uh, I said, well, God will make things out. But all this, to cut this long story short, to cut this long story short, me and my wife, we came here 2015. And I started feeling that urge after some time. And, uh, you know, the devil will always lead me to my excuse, the excuses that I've always made that I have family members who are already preachers, so everybody cannot be a preacher. And reasoning that way will make me to, to have some comfort that, yeah, it's true, every of us cannot be a preacher. God cannot call this family, everybody there, a preacher. So I have the privilege of working with the federal government in the Department of Homeland Security. And I had enrolled in EKU, doing a master's program in Homeland Security, because I was thinking that if I enroll after the end of that program, if I have a master's in that, in that, in that uh, degree, then it will, it will gain me a good position, a management position in my, in my current job. So <laughs> my wife can testify this. I started, I registered, that, I registered the school and I started the course. It was not going at all. I mean, I felt like, I told her, I don't understand. There is something that I don't understand. I am writing, I don't feel like I belong in what I want to do. Because the pressure was so much that I didn't, I didn't even have peace to study. I didn't have peace. My, I could not really put my facts together to put my arguments in, in my research that I was doing and, and papers that I was writing. It wasn't going. And quickly, I just prayed and said, Lord, if really this is you doing this, then I just need a way. By then, I was working in Louisville Airport, and uh, I said, okay, I really had enough of, enough of resistance. I said, I really don't want to set the standard to say, God, if, you, if this is your will, do this, because I don't think it is, it, is, it is good to really be holding God and say, I need a sign from you. I don't, really be, I don't feel comfortable doing that. I just said, Lord, I just want to be where you want me to be. I just want you to, if really this is what you want me to do, Lord, that you call me in ministry, just... Just let somebody just tell me. I just said, I said that shallowly and prayed and prayed. And one day I went to work in Louisville at the airport. I was going, I just came to work and where normally when you go to work, you have to go took some time and go for briefing. They give you the briefing, the update of what is, is, is happening in intelligence. And I, as I was going to briefing, there was one lady, one of my colleagues, a woman of, I think she was then she was in her 50s, early 50s. She came, she was crying, she was sobbing, having tears. And she said, Raphael, I don't know what, what is happening to me, and I don't know what I'm doing this. I said, but I see you as a leader. Please pray for me. There is something going on. She said, just pray for me, just pray for me. I mean, we were right in the, if you've flown through Louisville, we're right at the center of the checkpoint right there. And I was standing like there, I was looking as if. As she was saying that, I thought people were looking at what she was saying, and I was a little bit confused if she was talking to somebody else, but she was saying, Raphael, please. Well, then it did not occur to me that this is what I had prayed for God to show. And uh, I held her in the corner, and I tried to talk to her, and the, the supervisor was uh, running the floor, intervened, and we did not really get to finish, but I spoke with her later on. And when I left a couple of days after, then I just felt like, wow. Really, God does answer prayers. I remember this day I prayed, and this is what happened. And I shared that with my wife. And that was when actually I said, no, I, you can't wrestle with the Lord and win. There is no way you wrestle with anybody. You can never wrestle with the Lord and win. You always lose because God will always win. And that was when um, I started looking for information. 
And there was one brother who was in Southern. My plan was to go to DTS in Dallas. And there was one brother who recommended Southern, and um, that's where we are today. Um, all this, there is one verse that I just want to share with you all that really, really make me to see that really we are not just living because God has made us to live. We are living for a purpose, and the purpose is to glorify God. And that verse is uh, Isaiah chapter 43, uh, verse 7. Let me read this verse, and that will be it. Even everyone that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory. I have formed him, yeah, I have made him. So we all, we all, God has called us for his glory. Everything that we are doing, whatever you're doing, if, what, just anything that you're doing, whatever you find yourself and whatever you have, your, your hands find doing, just know that you have been called. God has made you for God's glory. Do it for his glory. Thank you so much. All right. Uh, Ralphie, I'm going to ask that you come down here and sit. So at this time, if you're an ordained deacon or an ordained minister, we want to create a line right here. So you want to stand up and come on over here. And uh, what we'll do is one by one, we'll ask David or uh, Miss Betty to play on the piano. And we'll just come up and pray over Ralphie. So Ralphie, you sit down and we will pray over him uh, one by one. And then when he's done, we'll present with a certificate. And we'll clap for him, and then everybody that's closed the service will all go, you come up and, uh, and shake their hand.
Raphael, congratulations. Uh, that's uh, the laying on of hands. So we want to present you. This is a certificate of ordination. Uh, it recognizes Raphael as an ordained deacon now. Once you become an ordained deacon, you can also serve. If, uh, say, God were to bring him to another church, he would also be an ordained deacon there as well. So we want to give this congratulations, Raphael. So that is, there you go. So that is. So thank you. All right, Pastor Lyon, you come stand up here as well. Uh, I want to invite everyone to stand up, and David's going to have us a closing song. Now, right when we're done, I want you to come forward, and you congratulate Raphael and Pascaline on their ordination tonight. So, Pascaline, you come stand up here.